Studios. It is Tuesday, March 22. I am Seth Leibson. A new poll is out from Quinnipiac. I'll give it to you straight as they report on the last question they ask. Quote, as the world witnesses what is happening to Ukraine, Americans were asked what they would do if they were in the same position as Ukrainians are now. Stay and fight or leave the country. A majority, 55 percent, say they would stay and fight, while 38 percent say they would leave the country. Republicans say 68 to 25 percent and independents say 57 to 36 percent they would stay and fight, while Democrats say 52 to 40 percent they would leave the country. When confronted with a terrible hypothetical that would put them in the shoes of the Ukrainians, Americans said they would stand and fight rather than seek safety in another country. Nearly half of Americans, 49 percent, say the attack on Ukraine has contributed to them feeling anxious, while 50 percent say it has not. Close quote. Let's dispense with this feeling of anxiety question for the time being. We can come back to it if you want. But here's an interesting spin and take from Frank Luntz on this poll. He reads it to say, as the pollster put it, 55 percent of Americans would stay and fight for this country. That's certainly one good way, sort of, to look at it. On the one hand, you could say, well, it's a majority. On the other hand, yeah, not a great majority. And maybe it's a decisive answer in many respects. But the other way to look at it is over 62 percent of Americans would stay and fight if there were no Democrats here. In other words, what they're showing in this poll is that a majority of Democrats, 52 percent, would not stay and fight, would flee, while only 40 percent of them would stay and fight. A minority of Democrats, but a majority of independents and Republicans would defend this country. That's a headline. It's not the headline Quinnipiac gave it, but that's the headline. What to say to this? Let us start with John Stuart Mill, who in an essay from Great Britain during the American Civil War, an essay on the righteousness of the Emancipation Proclamation, he concluded it this way, quote, war in a good cause is not the greatest evil which a nation can suffer. War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling which thinks nothing worth a war is worse. When a people are used as mere human instruments for firing cannon or thrusting bayonets in the service and for the selfish purpose of a master, such war degrades a people. A war to protect other human beings against tyrannical injustice, a war to give victory to their own ideas of right and good, and which is their own war carried on for an honest purpose by their free choice, is often the means of their regeneration. But a man who has nothing for which he is willing to fight, nothing which he cares more about than he does his own personal safety, is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. As long as justice and injustice have not terminated their ever-renewing fight for ascendancy in the affairs of mankind, human beings must be willing, when need is, to do battle for the one against the other. 
close quote. What does it say about the Democratic Party, those polled, where a vast minority would fight for this country if invaded? What's interesting to me is throughout the latter part of the Cold War, the 1970s and more so in the 1980s, when Republicans would talk about patriotism in ads or debates, Democrats would use the standard line of don't question my patriotism or I resent that my patriotism is being questioned. You saw a version of this in the bumper stickers that came off all the bumpers over the past three or so years that dissent is the highest form of patriotism. But what are we to say about a movement, the left and its party, the Democratic, that are in charge of everything, really everything except talk radio, and yet still evidence such a low view of this country, they would not decisively stay and fight for it. Is this just another version of what we saw in the early days of the Cold War and the internal fear and fight over communism? Joe McCarthy was the touchstone and firebrand in those days, the 1950s, admittedly a reckless and extreme anti-communist who turned out to have lousy methods, but mostly correct concerns, concerns the Democrats and the left liberals of the day would not concede. It prompted Irving Kristol to write back in those days, quote, for there's one thing that the American people know about Senator McCarthy. He, like them, is unequivocally anti-communist. About the spokesman for American liberalism, they feel they know no such thing and with some justification, close quote. Why? Because of the allergy to denouncing communism or anti-Americanism? And where did that come from? As I've pointed out before, Whitaker Chambers gets at this in his book Witness, asked about why Democrats would not more loudly condemn communism in those days, in his earlier days. He writes, quote, it was not treason. Men who sincerely abhorred the word communism in the pursuit of common ends found that they were unable to distinguish communists from themselves. For men who could not see that what they firmly believed was liberalism added up to socialism could scarcely be expected to see that it added up to communism. Any charge of communism enraged them precisely because they could not grasp the differences between themselves and those against whom it was made. When we aimed at communism, we hit something else. It was, he said, the great social revolution, which in the name of liberalism has been inching its ice cap over the nation for two decades. Well, when he wrote it, it was two decades. Far more now. In other words, in pointing out the dangers, never mind the beliefs and theories of communism, Democrats, or too many, they shrunk from speaking because it sounded too much like what they already supported or agreed with. Making us ask, what is the Democratic Party or liberalism today? We know it hates dissent and no longer believes in patriotic. Dissent now, rather than being patriotic or the highest form of patriotism, requires crushing. It requires censorship. It requires cancellation and shaming. Or in the field of public health, as discussed yesterday, as comes from Surgeon General of the United States, it requires reporting on fellow citizens, just as the Soviet Union used to practice and make martyrs of. We know the notion of American greatness or exceptionalism bothers liberals in the left. For when Donald Trump ran on American greatness, they said it meant 1950s-style segregation and racism. 
to them America being great meant America being racist, I suppose. Or as the leading Democrat in the country said at the time, the truth is America was never that great. And the slogan, Make America Great Again, is perhaps the most noxious slogan to the left. Why? I was having lunch with a friend of a friend. She happened to be a liberal. Not well studied or committed, but just the general go-along, get-along kind of liberal. And at lunch, she turned to me at one point and said, so Seth, are you a patriot? She asked it knowing what we call our radio station, but she asked it with a bit of a barb, a bit of an accusation, as if one might turn to someone in the 1960s and ask, are you a communist? I said, I'd like to think so, aren't you? And she paused. So I filled in the uncomfortable silence, saying, a patriot is simply someone who loves their country. Don't you love your country? I suppose so, yes, she said. And in that moment, we were able to detoxify a word that should have never been considered toxic or seen as toxic in the first place. Have we, I have to ask, reach a point in our life and culture where words like patriotism and love of country require elemental and remedial definitions and teachings? George Orwell in the 1940s asked, have we reached the point where the first task of the intelligent is to restate the obvious? The answer then was yes, and the answer now is yes, even more so. But why? There were and would not have been issues. These were and would not have been issues prior to World War II, roughly World War II. You've heard versions of this, but it was the aftermath of World War II when the political philosopher Leo Strauss said this. He could have said it in the aftermath of the fall of the Berlin Wall, but he died in the 1970s. Here's what he said. What was a tolerably accurate description of German thought just prior to World War II would now appear to be true of Western thought in general. It would not be the first time that a nation defeated on the battlefield and, as it were, annihilated as a political being, has deprived its conqueror of the most sublime fruit of victory by imposing on him the yoke of its own thought. Whatever might be true of the thought of the American people, American social science, at any rate, has adopted the very attitude toward natural right, which a generation ago when he was writing could still be described with some plausibility as characteristically German, close quote. What did he mean by this? Well, his next line helps, quote, the majority among the learned who still cherish the principles of the Declaration of Independence interpret these principles not as formulations of natural right, but as an ideology or myth. Present-day American social science is dedicated to the proposition that all men are endowed by the evolutionary process or by a mysterious fate with all kinds of urges and aspirations, but certainly with no unalienable rights, close quote. Relativism is what he's talking about, where there are no absolute truths. There are positive truths or rather perhaps individual truths, my truth as a phrase, for example. But relativism, and it's not even honored, by the way, <laughs> my truth, when uttered by non-relativists. <laughs> it's as if you have to be a member of a special club, after all. Think about it. How many in earshot of this monologue have had your truths respected by your communities, especially if, say, it came to handling COVID? Think your truths were respected? No. But the problem really is relativism, the abandonment of absolute right and wrong, 
the abandonment of natural rights upon which we, this country, were founded. And consequently, surprise, surprise, when you abandon the key point or underlying philosophy of this country, why would we be shocked to find those who don't believe in this country, or at least the goodness of it? Bitter fruit of the, po- bitter fruit of the poisonous tree is nobody's preferred diet, after all. And America is nothing more than the bitter fruit of the poisonous tree. Just ask the 1619 Project or the Squad or any of the CRT folks or any of the major academicians of our time. So, for example, people are more angry at me for questioning Nancy Pelosi funding and endorsing open and proud socialists than they are that socialism runs freely and unaccountably throughout our country and our campuses and now just far too widely through one of our major parties. Calling it out is what inspires the anger, not that it's true. The effort during the Trump years, for example, was at first at least a little understandable to most people, a little understandable to most people, when statues like Robert E. Lee's or other Confederate soldiers were targeted. But then the true illumination came when they also went after statues of Lincoln, and U.S. Grant, Frederick Douglass, when they tried to rename schools named after Abraham Lincoln. Only a country steeped in relativism, after all, could take a holiday like Lincoln's or Washington's birthday and turn it into President's Day, S apostrophe, plural. Lincoln on par with Millard Fillmore, after all. And what of that ongoing ever weird but ever with us attack on Lincoln? the attempted erasure of him. Well, there was no politician in America ever who spoke as much or as intelligently or as reverently of natural rights in the Declaration of Independence Independence as Abraham Lincoln. It was those rights and that old Declaration of Independence that guided him and gave him his philosophy on the evil of slavery, as it was for Frederick Douglass alongside him and Martin Luther King Jr. after. Note how out of fashion... Those two, Douglas and King, are as well. So, yeah, we end up where we usually do with C.S. Lewis. We continue to clamor for those very qualities we are rendering impossible. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue. In enterprise, we laugh in honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the gildings be fruitful. And today, in this poll, a majority of Democrats say they would not fight for America. I didn't say that. They did. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Oh, interesting crowdsource question. I think interesting. I was talking to a buddy of mine today. We were talking about movies that made artists because of the soundtrack. Um, Simon and Garfunkel, The Graduate. Um, a weird cult movie called Harold and Maude, maybe for Cat Stevens. By the way, it made. here's the question. Uh, are there any other movies other than those two? I couldn't think of any where they only featured one artist. Just one? Just one? Like The Graduate only had Simon and Garfunkel. Cat uh, Stevens was the only musician in um, Harold and Maude. Not, and, and you can't 
use movies that are about a performer. So like Purple Rain, obviously, that wouldn't count. I'm, I'm just curious if there are others that were exclusively one artist. I don't think so. Uh, the major news, I suppose, today um, on the Ukraine front – by the way, Ukraine is, is the major story everywhere. Question for the audience as well. Is it right to be? I mean every time I turn on Fox News, it's all Ukraine all the time and I get it. Um, but I go back to my point about what are we prepared to do about it other than let people down because expectations are raised so high. I'm not, a, I'm not arguing in any way, shape or form that we should reduce the coverage. I'm just wondering if you think it's, it's, it's rightly pitched uh, and rightly uh, prioritized. Uh, there are other things going on in the world. There are other things going on in the country. I'm always worried about the story we're not watching, the story we're not following. The Iran deal, by the way, is going to be one of them. It is, however, also part and parcel of the Ukraine story. You would forgive a news organization for focusing on it. We'll have Andy McCarthy on later in the show to talk about it. From his perspective, we had Brandon on it yesterday. We'll have Andy on it. He had a piece at National Review, a really good one. Uh, But it's part and parcel because – Joe Biden is looking now to replace, I guess, the oil that he has now, as of today, decided we will stop importing from Russia, Russian oil and gas to the United States after weeks of us asking Joe Biden and the administration, why the hell are you still sending tens of millions of dollars to Putin every day if you're trying to send him a message? And the answer was not forthcoming. It was evasive. The answer, I think, is because we are trying to buy Russians, excuse me, we're trying to buy Putin's and Russia's compliance and advocacy and help and effort to get us at the table with the Iranians so that now we can have their oil and gas, I suppose, as we are now trying to get Venezuela's oil and gas. It just gets from bad to worse. It goes from bad to worse. He should have had the sanctions on Putin from the outset. And we certainly shouldn't be going hat in hand to other rogue regimes, which are even worse than Russia. Worse than Russia. It's going from bad to worse. We'll converse more about this shortly. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 34 after the hour brings us our culture and economy update. We get it from John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He has his own radio show every Saturday morning here at 7 a.m. on 960 The Patriot. No one better to do the culture and economy than John Dombrowski. Hi, John. How are you, sir? Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. All right. So I suppose the main story today, and it does hit the economy and the culture, Mm -hmm. is that uh, President Biden has at long last decided to sanction U.S. imports of Russian oil, gas and energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He heard us talking yesterday. He heard us talking (laughs) yesterday. He realized he he didn't have You know, I needed you because I've been saying it for a while. (laughs) Oh, well, if John Dabrowski weighs in on it. That was the plus factor there. 
<laughs> That's right. Um, you yeah, think it'll so, change gas prices here? That's what I am. Cons- well, you talk well, first. You go yes, first. You go it, first. It okay. certainly is going to have an effect on that. And I would just say this is that I, I have a, a, one of my vehicles is a diesel vehicle. And I noticed yesterday when I drove to work, I saw that the gas station that I go to regularly, the price of diesel was four forty nine a gallon. Uh, and then I drove to work this morning, and the price was four seventy nine a gallon. This is just one day, yeah. up thirty cents. So, yes, we're going to definitely see uh, uh, the pressure uh, on U.S. Uh, gasoline prices. Uh, but as I mentioned yesterday, if if we would feel um, that paying a little bit more at the pump is going to put the pressure on Russia at the moment, that's something I think that we can probably stand behind for a short period of time. And again, as I went through the cost of gasoline per gallon during these inflated periods of time, uh, we're probably looking at maybe a, a six-month period of time where we're going to be fighting these uh, high high prices of uh, gasoline. Hopefully, we'll start to see a, a pullback after that. But if it is the truth that when I listened to the president today speaking about this, he never said we were going to open up more Exploration. You heard what I heard. Uh, yes. You heard or didn't he- you didn't hear what I didn't hear. Right. How, how, how do yeah. I construct this sentence? Exactly. We're on the same page, I guess, is yes. all I should say. But what I did hear was is yeah. him stating once again that, hey, there are uh, the opportunities for uh, companies. They have uh, the permits to do this. But the regulatory requirements on these companies is so stringent right now that it still is is Oh, it's a stupid response. Them. It's the most stupid thing that people yeah. buy into this nonsense. What did Jen Psaki say yesterday? There are 9,000 right. permits that are being yeah. – un- or nine, not permits, 9,000 leases that have been approved that they're not drilling on. Right. Well, I mean the companies make a lot of decisions about when and how they're going to drill and – you know, just because they have the lease doesn't mean it's going to be productive. Exactly, or cost-effective to them. Yeah, and, and it doesn't mean they have the permit, as you put it, right? Yes, that's a different because thing. All the yeah. regulatory requirements right. that they have, uh, you know, attached now are are making it not viable for them to move forward. So it's it's it, a, this it, should be the fact check of every major yeah, newspaper exactly. on this, and they won't touch it. And so it's misleading. so obvious. Everyone who knows about this knows that. Yes, yeah. so misleading again. So. Basically pushed, again, the uh, the story about renewable energy yeah. is going to be the way for us not to worry about the cost of gas. And that is just not the way to approach this. And I looked at this where the EU is planning to cut their, uh, you know, obviously their dependency on Russian oil as well and gas. But what they're saying when I'm reading this is, is that they're going to be looking at ways to create a more robust um, – uh, clean energy yeah. type of yeah. uh, a network. Yeah. And again, it's it's not going to be helping uh, the situation in the short term and probably not in the long term either. Tomorrow, John, your comments were great today. Tomorrow, can we talk a little bit about how these prices come to us? Because in, a, in an odd sense, I mean, and we'll just we'll reserve it for tomorrow, but in an odd sense, these prices were rising – somewhat a, a bit before the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, and they were rising, of course, during it up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it that causes it? This has to do with the world markets and all that. Can you can you kind of distill some of that for us tomorrow? Can I sure. give you that? Sure. 
homework assignment. I know you, you already bet. know. It's just you we've been out of time for it. But <laughs> and if you and, and one it. other thing today, we did no. see uh, President Zelensky make a comment about not uh, joining NATO, yeah. you know, not not pushing to join NATO, right. which the stock market completely did a reversal. Yeah. It didn't end up in the positive territory that it, it reversed to, but it was a wild ride for the markets today. And again, if folks are concerned about what's happening, yep. how to position your portfolio, go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com, request an appointment. That's Security why we have you on. Hold on a second. Yep. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on, Al McCoy. Hold on. What a shot. Uh, no, no, that is what I that's that's why we have you on, John. No one knows this stuff better than you. Really Thank truly. You. So we delight in it. Now you can Al McCoy. All right. All right. <laughs> Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finrin Sipic and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. What a shot. Shazam. Shazam. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you later, John. Take care. God Bye. bless you. Bye bye. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years. Today, it remains a common sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You know why you want gold. You probably already want it. You don't need pushy commission salespeople to tell you why. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Enter Midas Gold Group, veteran-owned, proud supporters of America First and supporters of this show right here on 960 AM. They're fighting for your right to the financial freedom and privacy that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of our listeners know and trust, Midas Gold Group. Visit them in person at 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix, or give them a call at 480-360-3000, or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Matthew is in Phoenix. Hello, Matthew. Hey, Seth. How are it you? took me a little bit, but I finally came up with a movie that answered your question on the only one performer doing the music. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was asking, what movies have only had one artist uh, for the entirety of the soundtrack? And I only thought of two. You got a, you got some others or, or another? Uh, one other. It's a little-known movie, but it's one of my favorites. It's The Pride of Jesse Hollum. I don't know Starring Johnny Cash. I don't know it. I don't know it. It would make sense. I'm guessing the the soundtrack is by Johnny Cash. It is. Okay. Yeah. He he plays a miner out of uh, Kentucky that can't read, and takes his daughter to Cincinnati for uh, operation. And realizes that he can't function in today's world without reading. Wow, it's a it's an older movie. Uh, Brenda Vaccaro's in it. Uh, I can't remember who all else, but you can find it on YouTube. Fabulous, Matthew. I uh, I don't. I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan, and I didn't know about this movie. Huge Johnny Cash. It was it was a made for TV movie. Basically about adult illiteracy. Illiteracy, yeah, okay. All right. Um, oh, guess what my producer tells me, Matthew? What? He tells me that the band Queen did the entirety of the soundtrack for the movie Flash Gordon in 1981. That's a pretty good That's answer. Right. That's right, they did. I forgot about I that I didn't one know that they... either. Maybe I never saw I knew it. They, I knew they did the title song. 
Fantastic. I didn't know about the rest of it. Okay, so there's a few, but not a lot. Not a lot. And Queen, uh, the other interesting thing is Queen didn't need it any more than Johnny Cash needed that movie to make their career, right? That's the interesting thing. Simon and Garfunkel were made by The Graduate. I don't know if Cat Stevens was made by Harold and Maude, but probably a little bit. Um, well, what? Queen in 1981 was already famous. Yeah. Well, sit down and watch the Pride of Sit Jesse down and album. watch it. it. I like it when... <laughs> yes, thank you. Are you a former it, teacher or a teacher? No, I'm actually an aircraft mechanic inspector, but I'm a history buff oh, and... Good. Good, good, good. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. What era of history, American history, are you are you most uh, fascinated by or most interested in? Um, I've actually been working on World War II planes since I was about twelve years old. Yes, so, sir. most mostly World War II, but was basically, your, was your daddy in the war? Yeah. What gave you that interest? Uh, believe it or not, building models. Just building models. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. When you talk American history with people, do you sometimes find that you're talking to a to a brick wall? Oh, many times. Isn't you it know, tragic? They, I they mean, it's such a great story. It's such a great they, story. They don't. They don't teach any history no, now. No. You know, I was at, I was at Valley Forge not too long ago, and and the people around me had no idea what happened there. Yeah. 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 It's 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 the greatest crime, I would say, at least the greatest moral crime we've inflicted on our children. Well, you know what? I have to tell you this, Matthew, and I don't know your politics, but <clears throat> and feel free to disagree with me. But I was about to say it's the greatest moral cl- crime we inflict upon our children. But I think I now have to um, have to say it may be the second greatest moral crime we're now inflicting on our children, particularly in the schools. I think this gender and race stuff. We're throwing at them. I think that's a greater moral crime because that's it, not it just is, about this but, country. That's about human nature. But but it's just so sad the fact that the kids nowadays know nothing yeah. about the greatness uh, and the history of this country. Well, that's what subjects them to so much the propaganda. That's what – you know. if you are ill-informed, you are obviously – if you are ill or uninformed – you are obviously a precious bait, an easy bait for 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 the propagandist. I mean, you know, why would you love a country you don't know better? Why would you like a country that you're taught is nothing but a woe a, a, a woefully sad tale of misery and crime, which is what in how America is mostly taught in our schools these days. I mean, why, why would you love that country? Why would you like that country? Why would you want to invest in that country? Why would you want to support that country? Why would you want to restore the greatness of that which is corrupt and iniquitous, right? It's a real you know, challenge. You know, they're, they're taught George Washington and, and Jefferson and Franklin were all evil. And and it's like those those gentlemen were geniuses. They were giants of their day. They were giants of any day. They were it, giants of any that, day. That's true. You know, they had moral uh, flaws yeah. of their day. They had the moral flaws of their day. But they have... Ben Franklin was... No, yeah, not all of them. Bad. Good point. Yeah, no, not all of them. Right, right. You're right to say that, James. Well, so a lot of them weren't. They're all lumped in. But to those who oh, had yeah. flaws, I would say it this way. I would say 
Um, they had the moral flaws of their day, but they have they had the genius of eternity. Well, you look at everything Franklin did, and yet you know a lot of people don't know he was the greatest horn dog of his day. <laughs> by the yeah, way, Matthew. He, by the way, uh, <laughs> he, you just saw. He, I heard an airplane fly overhead. Morning. I heard an airplane fly over your head or over. Oh, in the, I, I'm. I'm sitting here in front of my airplane at uh, the Glendale Airport. Can you tell what plane is going above you any any given day? Um, that one looked like a Cirrus. You can. You can tell what airplane is going, I, just based on your I, modeling I, and I'm, stuff. Well, no, I'm uh, about 100 yards from the runway. Well, that would be another way to tell. Yes, there's nothing left to recline. <laughs> Matthew, you're great. Call in again. I'd love to hear more from you. I appreciate you calling. Okay, sir. You betcha. That's it. Well, I'm also right next to it. That, that I watched it take off. Yeah, that that would be another way to answer it. Yes, that would be another way. Well, so we have Queen and Flash Gordon. We have the Johnny Cash. If it's about the band, it doesn't count. Like Purple Rain doesn't count. Or Hard Day's Night or Yellow Submarine, that doesn't count. All right, we got to hit the break real quick, don't we? As we head to break, let me put in a good word for my friends at Balance of Nature. They are my friends. They make a great product, Balance of Nature. Go to balanceofnature.com. Check out their fruits and veggies, potent stuff on the veggie front. Ask yourself, have you had your share of cayenne pepper and wheatgrass and garlic today? How about carrots? How about kale? How about cauliflower, spinach, soybeans? Uh, How about zucchini? You get all of that potently in just the veggie blend balanceofnature.com discount code balance i take it every day we'll be right back welcome back to the seth leibson show andy mccarthy's gonna join us at the top of the next hour always uh, just delightful hearing from andy he has a piece on the um on the Iran deal, we're striking with the help of the Russians right now, and uh, it's as uh, I think it's it's as bad or worse. I mean, he's only reporting on what we do know, and it looks pretty bad. So I have a feeling it's going to even be worse. Remember how we learned after the fact all the concessions we made under Barack Obama for the last deal, the JCPOA, the last time we did it, and had pallets of cash. That story came later. The trading money for hostages that came later as well. Um, that 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 always comes later when Joe Biden says, as he said today in his non press conference sanctioning Russian oil and gas purchases in the United States, I'll always be square with you. He won't. That's the first lie he always tells. I'll always be straight with you. He won't be. He won't be. If he were being straight with us, he would have told us a long time ago why we didn't engage the SWIFT program against the Russians. He would have told us a long time ago why we were still buying Russian oil and gas as we were trying to punish Vladimir Putin or at least to make him feel pain for his invasion of Ukraine. It turns out, as we can only, I think, speculate, but I have and can find no other reason or answer as to why we wouldn't have done it before, was to get Russia to do our bidding with Iran, to have Russia... Uh, coax or coerce Iran to strike a deal with the United States. Why Why the great interest in such a deal with such a rogue regime that, if anything, has become more hardline over the years? 
Why, why this anxious propitiation? Let's use that word. That's not a phrase I've used on this show before. Anxious propitiation. Once, once does that come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. Best guess, actually. Best guess. I can't say for sure. Best guess. Joe Biden got a little bit of a bump. He was still underwater, but in one poll he got one poll. He got a little bit of a bump in his approval ratings subsequent to his State of the Union speech. Some would say, well, that's because of his State of the Union speech. The better conventional wisdom about it was because it was a rally around the flag kind of thing having to do with the U.S. kind of putting its place in the position of at war with Russia or at least on the side of someone who was at war with Russia. Well, if you can, um, if you can find something – some kind of major international accomplishment, you tend to boost your poll numbers. It's kind of a sick thing to think that Joe Biden needs poll, poll, poll number boosting by trading in national security. Andy McCarthy coming up. We'll be right back. 